died and rose again. Hallelujah. Lord, we have the victory in Jesus through his death and resurrection. Lord, we're just so grateful for the grace that you show us. We're so thankful for who you are. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, give us more of a glimpse of who you are. Lord, help us to respond to your word as we hear it and be doers of it. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take your seats? Can we imagine heaven? I mean, the worship is so good now. Wow. Well, all right. Well, Casey's sermon last week on judging was very convicting, especially for me. We heard some great biblical counseling on conflict, how to actually be God-glorifying in our perspective when we deal with conflict with others. So my question I want to start with this morning is, what are we doing with the truths that we hear? Whether it is from the pulpit, whether it is our daily devotional life, or any time we hear truth, we are called to obey it with all our heart. We are responsible before God to live out the truths we know and learn daily. Does that sound like us this morning? Are we living a life that pleases and honors God? As we begin this morning, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we are just in awe of who you are. We are so excited, so amazed by your grace you've given us. This grace that cleanses us continually. Father, we want to give you all the glory and honor. As It's so easy to glorify you when we're singing songs to you. But it gets really hard when we're, all, when we're sometimes face-to-face with our spouse and we don't, want to, we don't feel very loving towards them. I ask, Father, that you help us to be consistent, that we be holy in our houses, in our workplaces, by ourselves, what we're watching, what we're doing with our spare time. Father, we do thank you for your grace that does cover even so many times when we don't live that way. We thank you for that sweet grace. We praise you for this. And in Christ's name, amen. Well, we are continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is entitled The Upside Down Kingdom. And this morning, we're going to unleash the sixth beatitude. And I want us to think about the first three beatitudes as climbing up. A mountain. The first three, if you remember, are poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness, which all reveal our neediness for God. We are faced with the fact that we are desperate for God. And then we turn to Him, and as we do, Christ's holiness shines on us. Like Isaiah, we see ourselves for who we truly are. Sinful, wretched, helpless, and empty. 
This leads us to the fourth beatitude where we hunger and thirst for righteousness, which takes us up to the top or the pinnacle of that mountain. Christ satisfies us with himself. Christ becomes our desire. We turn from the world and we find our satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. We are satisfied in Christ above all else. We are on the top of that mountain. But the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth Beatitudes are now as we descend the other side of the mountain. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is how we live once we are truly satisfied in Christ. We begin to walk down the other side of the mountain as the inward change is revealed in our actions. We are now merciful towards others. We are growing in purity and we become peacemakers towards our fellow man. This, as we've discussed, the Beatitudes are connected. They build on one another. There is a sequence in order to them. And today, this leads us to the six Beatitudes. So please open your Bibles to Matthew 5.8. That's Matthew 5.8 where we will begin and end today. Jesus says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we hear often in the world today, we hear phrases like, follow your heart, or listen to your heart, and I'm not going to sing the song, or your heart can't be wrong, or be true to your heart. I mean, it sounds like the world agrees with this verse. Is it possible that the world and Christ are saying the same thing? Is the heart pure? Are we called to follow what is inside of us? If that was the case, then why would we need scripture at all if our heart leads us into truth? Well, turn with me to Psalm 51.5. That's Psalm 51.5. And this is David broken over his sin before God. And David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Let me read that again. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And this leads me to point number one. Point number one says everyone starts out with a wicked heart. Everyone starts out with a wicked heart. I have a great example of this. Many of you know I have three children So I see this often, but our son Silas from an early age, when he first started eating Cheerios, would put one Cheerio in his mouth. Then while giving us full eye contact, he would drop the next one on the floor. My wife and I would say, Silas, keep your food in your bowl. And seconds later, he would drop more. On the floor, watching our facial reactions and expressions. While at the same time, he managed to throw a sippy cup on the floor and rub his squished Cheerios in his hair. 
I wasn't sure. I thought maybe he had more than two arms. But thank goodness, through loving discipline called spanking, Silas today is eating like a big boy. Amen? So I confirm that children are wicked and evil from childhood as the scriptures espouse. But turn with me also to Jeremiah 17, 9. I know this passage is used a lot. And I think Miss Dawn Sheldon even laminated this verse for us because it's such a great reminder. But turn with me to Jeremiah 17, 9. And it is going to be a little different for me because now I'm starting to use the ESV translation. So it's going to sound a little different for me to say. But it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that is why we don't listen to our hearts or follow our hearts. We are called to follow the word of God, not our hearts. And this may be a wake-up call to hear because what I am saying is that humanity is wicked, not good. That means we aren't as good as we think we are. I know many of us think we're better than what we are because I hear phrases like this continually. Are you saying, Terry, that I'm a sinner? Or are you saying that I'm sinful? Or this is another one. I might have handled the situation wrong, but my heart was in the right place. This language reveals that many of us do not understand how wicked we still are even at this present moment. I'll try to calm down. I want to let everyone in on something that isn't supposed to be a secret. If you're a Christian, you struggle with sin. I know I do it all the time. I struggle often. Sin is a continual battle even in the Christian's life. That's why scripture says we sin when we don't pray about all things. Or scripture says we sin when we don't do everything in faith. Or scripture says we sin when we let one careless word or foolish word come out of our mouths. Scripture says we sin when we look at anything profane or wicked. Scripture says we sin when we gossip and talk bad about others. Scripture says we sin when we don't put others above ourselves. Scripture says we sin when we put anything above God, which is called idolatry. I'm not sure why churches don't really preach on this. It's all over the word of God. And this doesn't even consider our thought life. I know we have heard this illustration before, but I'm going to remind us. What if God played all our thoughts on a movie screen for all to see? Would we be horrified? Would we be ashamed of some of the things that go through our minds? Even at this very moment, possibly. My point is we sin often, and it shows the reality of who we are. It reveals the condition of our hearts right now. We would all do well to meditate on this quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is what he says. Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. (laughs) Let me read that again. Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Spurgeon was correct in his assessment. We wouldn't be near as defensive or reactive towards others if we considered the fact that we are probably worse than we think we are. 
The problem, again, is we don't believe we're that bad. Most of us think we're pretty good, upright citizens. And I will tell you, often we're very deceived. But when I want a reality check, do you know who I usually ask? She's not there. Oh, she was right. Oh, she's back there. She's raising her hand. My wife. My wife. I ask her or I ask one of my good friends like Casey. You know, do you see any sin in my life right now? Anything I'm doing? And let's just say both of them keep me very humble. They both don't hesitate to tell me when pride rises up within me or I act selfishly or I'm being a people pleaser, which all three of those things I really struggle with, by the way. I will tell you, it is a true blessing to have believers in our lives who will help us with these things, who will counsel us by speaking truth into our lives when we are blinded by self-deception that comes from our sinful hearts. But you might be thinking, you might be thinking, if the heart is wicked, why does Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart, right? Why are we talking about the sinful heart when Jesus is talking about the pure in heart? Well, point, this leads to point number two. Believers have a pure heart positionally. Believers have a pure heart positionally. We have to start distinguishing Scripture and having good theology. And it says believers have a pure heart positionally. So what do I mean by positionally? Well, the reality of it is, like I've said, none of us have a pure heart yet Scripture calls us saints. Have you ever read that? Scripture calls us saints, right? More than sinners, actually. The word saint is used over 60 times in the New Testament to describe believers in Christ Jesus. The Greek word for saint is hagios, which means set apart, holy, or sacred. What? We that are Christians in Jesus Christ are set apart, sacred, holy. We are saints. We are saints. And this is not because we try to love or do good to others or because we read our Bibles or because we pray. Being a saint is not predicated on our works or lack of works. That's called legalism if we're working our way to heaven. If it was based on our works, then we would all be doomed. We would all be doomed to hell. Isaiah has said, what? Our our works are like filthy rags. Most of our works, as we have discussed, are tainted and soiled with sin, even on our best days. Turn And scripture says we are saints because of Christ, not because of our works. It's all over the scriptures, but we'll look at one of them. We'll go to Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. And it says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because 
of works done by us in righteous, righteousness, but according to his own mercy by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he has poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Faith in Christ alone saves, Scripture says. That is what is meant by positional purity. Faith in Christ means we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us actually live out the Christian life. God sees Christ when he looks at his children, and God graciously deletes all past, present, and future sins by his unfathomable grace. Are we in awe of God's mercy this morning? Or are we thinking, man, I've heard that about a billion times since I've been a Christian. I know we have, but it can't. we can't get numb to that. We have to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Do we see the riches of God's grace in our lives this morning? And this leads to point number three. Point number three says, The pure in heart depend on God instead of self. Point number three says the pure in heart depend on God instead of self. Those that are pure in heart are not confident in themselves, nor do they trust their own ways. They don't depend on themselves whatsoever. If anything, they are cautious about their own hearts, their own understanding, because they know how easily they can be deceived. They have what we call a right or proper view of themselves. Turn with me to Proverbs 3, 5 to continue to clarify this point. Proverbs 3, 5. But also we're going to go to also Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, 26. And let me say this, that anybody that's up here preaching better back up everything they say with the Word of God. We have to be doing that. If, we, if our theology doesn't come from Scripture, you know it's false theology. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And then turn forward to Proverbs 28, 26. Proverbs 28, 26. And it says this, Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Let me read that again. Those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. God's word says a fool trusts in self. Naturally, we are going to think our thoughts are right. Our ways are correct. But God's word says turn to God instead of your own thinking. We are often deceived by our own thinking because we have these feelings that feel, it feels so right to think what I think is so right. I mean, that's just the reality of it for all of us. We got to check that with scripture though. For example, I remember as a teenager talking to my parents as if I had life figured out. 
I know this is much different than teenagers today, by the way, but this is just how I was. Here I am totally dependent on my parents for my survival, and yet I naturally talked as if I was the authority in the house. There is something in us that thinks our own thoughts are so much wiser, so much smarter than those around us. Yet, yet, God's word says to be weary, to be cautious, to look at self suspiciously because the heart deceives. Are we trusting in our own understanding, our own ways, or are we depending on God? Some of you may be wondering, how do I know? How do we know who we are trusting in? Well, let's look to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. That's Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And it says this, How can a young man keep his ways pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Again, how do we know who we're trusting in? David answers the question quite clearly by saying, if you are following God's word, you are trusting God. David explains that following God is connected to following scripture. Who are we trusting this morning? Are we obeying God's word? Is God's word our authority in our lives? This leads to point number four. The pure in heart depend on God by learning and following scripture. Let me say that again. The pure in heart depend on God by learning and following scripture. As a pastor, I get to hear all the reasons why people don't read their Bibles. Pastor, I'm just too busy. Or pastor, I just really don't like to read the Bible. Or pastor, I can't really understand the Bible. Or pastor, I just can't concentrate when I read the Bible. Or pastor, I just forget everything I I read when I am studying the Word of God. And honestly, I just called those reasons, but in reality, they are lame and ridiculous excuses. God's word is clear that we are commanded to know and obey scripture. We show what we care about by what we give our time to. How we live reveals what we love. What do we make our priority? If we love God, we will study his word. And if you're not studying his word, you might want to see if you're even in the faith. 
Turn with me to James 1, 22 through 25. James 1, 22 through 25. James 1, 22 through 25. And it says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what it says, not forgetting what it says, they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James says those of us who hear from God's word and do not obey it are like somebody who says, I'm going to go look in the mirror and see how I'm looking. And then instantly when they go and look at themselves and leave, they forget exactly what they look like. We are called as believers to conform to the word of God because ultimately conforming to the word of God is submitting to God. If we're not doing that, we don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know how to follow him correctly. And this is not optional. This is commanded all throughout Scripture. I don't know what to say about that. Kirk Cameron said this, Put your nose into the Bible every day. It is your spiritual food. And then share it. Make a vow not to be a lukewarm Christian. Are we reading, meditating, studying, memorizing Scripture? Are we living out what we read from God's word? Because again, if we don't know it, we can't live it out. Point number five, the pure in heart are single-minded. Point number five says the pure in heart are single-minded. And the Greek word for pure heart or pure is katharos, which can also mean clean, clear, or unstained. This word pure means without mixture, purged, unmixed, without undesirable elements, spiritually clean, purified by God, free from the contaminating, soiling influences of sin. So how do we become pure in heart? We have discussed that positionally we are pure because of Christ, but how do we become practically, daily, more pure In our lives. This is the same thing as saying we are justified in Christ. But now there's a continual sanctification process that continually makes us look like how we're already justified. So turn with me to James 4, 8 through 10. James 4, 8 through 10. Where we will expound upon this point. And and James says this, and remember this, when you think of the book of James or the letter of James, it's actually written to all the general church, all the churches in the area. So this isn't just specifically written to certain people, it's written to all the churches in that area. And this is what he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now remember, he's talking to Christians. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James says, we draw near to God by purifying our hearts. Why do these believers need to purify their hearts? 
Why do they? Well, let's read again verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We find out that these Christians are double-minded. Well, what does it mean to be double-minded? I could give a definition on it, but what I'm going to do is just we can go up a few verses before this and see what it says in James 4, verse 4. So go up a few verses and it says this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. The believers James is writing to are really struggling with loving the world. James calls them double-minded. They are schizophrenic in their thinking. They are confused. They Their lives are full of strife and chaos. They live for Christ, but they also live for Satan. They worship God, but they also worship Satan. Life is anything but peaceful for these people. They are, if you will, two-minded. James said, you can't serve two masters. Casey did a phenomenal sermon on being a slave to Christ, being a doulos to Christ, where you have one master you can only follow. As a believer, only one. And if you don't follow Christ, then you're following the world, the scripture says. We can't follow Christ and the world. We can't follow Christ and follow Satan simultaneously. These people are being pulled or ripped apart in two opposite directions. So let's reread James 9 and 10 here. And it says this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James, again, remember, writing to all the churches, says this generally to all the people in the church. And James screams from the rooftops and rebukes them by saying, repent, repent, stop playing both teams. Quit being a hypocrite. Repent of such wickedness. John MacArthur says repentance is not just a change of mind, but a change of heart. It is an inward response, not an external activity, and its fruit will be evident in the true believer's behavior. And repentance in this context in James means to turn away from the world and fully embrace Christ. We have a laser beam focused to glorify God in all we do. Our thinking, our actions, our energy, our time, our abilities, our passion, our desire, our direction, our focus are centered centered wholly and fully on praising God. Are we single-minded this morning? Do we walk in repentance daily? Do we? Do we even recognize the sin that so easily entangles us? Are you pleading with God about the sin that still remains in your heart? This leads to point number six. The pure in heart see God. Point number six says the pure in heart see God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What does it mean to see God? The first thing we should point out is it says, for they shall see God. It is written in future tense, right? 
But those of us who are believers, I would suggest see God even now. We see him daily. I would suggest that we see a glimpse of God now as we draw near to him. And in eternity, we will see him in all his fullness, in all his glory. And I will say what a glorious and overwhelming day that will be when we will stand before our Lord. And I shouldn't say stand because we'll be in our knees, face planted on the ground, trembling in fear and this mysterious joy that we're so excited about. We'll be able to worship our sovereign God for all eternity. But, but God in his grace gives us opportunities to see him now as well. We see him when we wake up and the sun shines on us. We see him when a child is born. We see him when we have a bountiful amount of food daily to eat. We see him in his word when we depend on it. We see him with the friends and family that God has orchestrated in our lives strategically to follow him. We see him when trials come our way and his comfort and grace meets our pain. We see him amongst his people in his church. We definitely see him now, although it is only a glimpse. But I will say it is his his grace to his people. Do you see God? Do I see God? Do you see God in your marriage? Do you see God as a parent? Do you see God in your daily routines? Do you see God in the midst of your trials like health issues or conflict with others? Do we see God this morning? Well, in conclusion, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are we content with Christ and in Christ alone this morning? Or are we chasing after the world? Who is our master, God or self? And I say self in the way that if we're following self, we're really being a tool, an instrument for Satan, is what the scripture says. The pure in heart are those who are true believers in Christ. They have given their life to Christ in faith and repentance. And I'll say at the family church, I pray that we are single-minded, focused on glorifying God in whatever we're doing as a church. That's why it's so important for us to know the word of God and not say things like, well, that's the way we've always done it. We actually are, are measuring what we've done to what scripture actually says. That's what we need to be doing We need to be growing in theology as we dive deeper into his word. May we be a people who are pure in heart as we walk in repentance to praise and honor Christ Jesus with our lives. Please stand. And I'm going to pray for us and then we will be dismissed. Holy Father, We give you all the glory and honor. I recognize that the things that we've discussed today are heavy. They're heavy things for us to swallow. They're tough for us, Father. 
But we recognized as believers, we need to be balanced in how we hear Scripture and make sure we are listening to the whole counsel of God's Word. Not just the positive sides of God's Word, but the sides that we wrestle with, that we are challenged with, that convicts our hearts. May your Holy Spirit work mightily on us, on our hearts. Thank you for Christ Jesus who makes us positionally pure, who justifies us. By his gracious sacrifice, may we be faithful to him. I thank you for everyone here this morning. I ask that we learn to love each other more from the heart daily. It's through Christ's name. Amen.